0: Well, we've been thinking about the veil and the veil is about being removed from our faces so that we can behold the glory of the Lord. And where do we behold that glory? We behold that glory in God's written word as he allows us to see things we would never see before because there's a veil over the eyes of other people. They can't see the God of this world. The prince of this world, the prince of darkness, has covered all people's eyes with a veil. And particularly those who are of the Jewish descent who did not embrace Jesus. There's a veil over their eyes today. As they read the scriptures, they can't understand what the scriptures are really all about because that veil still remains. And this is a truth that many people don't realize. And that is the Jewish people do not really study the Bible itself, but they study the Bible through the traditions of the elders. Because Jewish people have been taught that the tradition of their rabbis is how to really study the Bible and read it. And so we should pray for Jewish people and we should pray for Muslim people who are also the descendants of Abraham, that the veil would be removed and they would know the Lord, they would see the Lord in the pages of Scripture. Well, Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians 3, don't turn there yet, 2 Corinthians 3, that we who have turned to the Lord have our faces unveiled. And as we see the Lord Jesus, as He's revealed in Holy Scripture, both in the written Scriptures and in the Scriptures as they are proclaimed, we're changed, we're transformed. So we've thought about that in terms of a big theological word, sanctification. Sanctification means that we're set apart more and more from the world and become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our role model. Well, that process goes on as we talked last week. But there, but we we need to understand that in this life, it is never complete. Look with me, if you would, there on page 1899 at verse 10, 1 John 1.10. He says, If we claim we have not sinned, We make him, that is God, out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. You'll find some people who will say, well, I've never sinned. Well, they're fools. Nobody who knows himself will ever say, I've never sinned. Nobody who knows himself will ever say, I've never sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you will find very few people in this world who believe they've never sinned at all. But what I want you to see in verse 8 is something different. And this is a thing that you will find people uh, say today. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I'll never forget... One day there was a, I, was, I, I would preach in a nursing home on Tuesday afternoons. It was next door to the church I served from 75 to 2015, and I would have a service there. And one day there was an old man who used to come and listen to me. And, uh, and after I had preached on, I think, this passage of Scripture, he came up to me afterwards and got into an argument with me. And he said, You're wrong. And I said, Well, do you really know yourself? He said, I used to sin, but I don't sin anymore. And he got really upset and he left. And as I was walking out of that nursing home, the Holy Spirit convicted me because I should have shown him a lot of respect. His hair was my color. Then, And Scripture talks about standing up before white-haired men and uh, showing that respect. And I wasn't being respectful. I argued with him as if he were a boy and I was a man. And uh, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so then I turned back and I, I looked for his room and he wasn't in the room. So then I walked down to the, to the chapel and there he was on his face before God. And you know what? That day he confessed, Oh God, I've sinned. <laughs> I made him sin. <laughs> now the point is this is not, that's, I don't mean this in a humorous way, but he became convicted that day that he had not reached entire sanctification. What is entire sanctification? You don't sin anymore. You don't sin anymore. And so there's this great truth here in verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And if we claim, verse 8, to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. So remember that when you encounter people who tell you, Well, I, I no longer am a sinner. Sometimes that's semantics. What's semantics? Semantics simply is... A way of saying things as over against uh, fundamentally being in disagreement. What people say who will tell you, I'm not a sinner anymore, is that they are separated from the world. They don't mean they don't ever sin at all anymore. It's just for them. It's a matter of wording and phrasing. Uh, I'm not I'm not a non-Christian. I'm a Christian. For people who use that terminology, they simply mean they've been born again. They simply mean they've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And in their minds, that separates them from worldly people who don't know God. But we're talking about here about people who believe they never sin at all. And you know, I've got to say... If we only knew our hearts, we would know every single day, including the 20th day of February 2022, we sin. You know, as you get older, your ability to sin in one way is lessened. I can't go run and uh, run into a liquor store and rob it at my age. <laughs> Not that I'm interested in doing that. Uh, your, your body slows down and your ability to do things uh, like acrobatic flips that I did this past Tuesday when I flipped off backwards flipped over on my back and landed in the flowers uh, at that church doing a funeral I can tell you I used to be able to do things like that because I studied how to fall but I'm gonna tell you that my age Wow That hurt like all get out. Plus, I tried to grab the rail and cut my fingers. And do you know that undertaker actually carried a Band-Aid in his wallet? That was so good. But anyhow, (laughs) I can't do what I used to do. But that doesn't mean that my ability to sin is really lessened. Because in many ways, as you get older, your ability to sin increases because you look back over a lifetime And you can have resentment and bitterness towards other people and unforgiveness. Nothing will hurt your body more than unforgiveness. It really is true. And so as we get older, as we age, our sins tend to be less visible to other people. Unless uh, somebody pulls in front of us and we have a cuss fit. But... The point is this, you will never, as long as you are alive, attain to the position of 1 John 1, 1.8, where you can truly claim to be without sin. When you claim that, he says you're deceiving yourselves. That means what? When it means you're out of touch with reality. What do we call a person who is out of touch with reality? Nuts. Mental illness. Everyone who believes he no longer sins is mentally ill. Out of touch with reality. And we need to focus on that for a moment. Well, I want to go back to, to 2 Corinthians 3. And look there again. Because when finally is this over? When is this agonizing struggle with sin... How many people here today can say, I still struggle with sin? Obviously, not everybody heard. But anyhow, (laughs) so we still struggle with sin. When will this struggle be over? It's going to be over when you die. That's when it's going to be over. Look with me, if you will, over to chapter (laughs) 4. And look at verse 16 on page 1798. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart. You want to know a description of old age? It, it don't get no better than this. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart. This is a Christian's experience, a born-again person's experience, the experience of somebody that truly knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Boy, can I say that's true after landing in those flowers at that funeral. Wow. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Isn't that interesting? Day by day, we experience an inner renewal. The paradox is this. As the old flesh experiences decay and destruction and an inability to heal itself as it once had, he says that the inner person is being renewed day by day. Have you ever thought about it? Can you say to God, praise God for heart disease, praise God for cancer, praise God for aches and pains? You know, it was hard for me uh, when I got up and it took two people to lift me up, including the uh, grandson of the lady who had died because his grandfather said, if you ever need to get up, said that boy over there, big old boy in a light blue shirt, he said he can do it. And I had to call one of the men, "Please get that grandson over here." It took two of them to lift me up, and boy was I perturbed. But you know, God enabled me to win the hearts of all these strangers, cuz that church almost never has anybody much in it. It's actually normally a smaller attendance than what we see here. But the church was packed out. And it's actually a bigger auditorium than we have. It was packed because of all the relatives. And you know, had I not taken that fall, I would not have been able to establish rapport with those people as I stood up to lead the first song. It was amazing. And you know what I was able to do then, that night, uh, with Advil? <laughs> I was able to say, thank you, Jesus. When you can thank Jesus for your aches and pains and your troubles and the storms of life, something happens in those storms, and God sweetens the storms. God sweetens the pain. God gives you a compensating joy. I was, say, I was able to say that night, Tuesday night, before I fell asleep in El Dorado, Arkansas, Thank you for that experience, Lord, because I was enabled to reach people through being a fool. Far better than if I'd sit up there as this big pompous uh, know-it-all. The inner man is being renewed day by day. That's what happens. Now notice what happens when our focus is on the Lord Jesus. Remember, we all, with unveiled face beholding the, the, the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, or being transformed into that same glory, even by the Lord the Spirit. And notice what he says in verse 17. I want to be at this point, every day of my life, the point of 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles... Are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all, he says. Now, what does he mean there? It means when Jesus is the focus of your life and my life, is Jesus 100%, always, every day, day in and day out, the focus of my life, every moment of my life? Of course not. If I stood up here and told you that, I'd be a liar. Jesus is not. Every moment of the day, my focus. But to the degree that Jesus is the focus of my life, to the degree that Jesus is the focus of my life, it changes how I look at life. It changes the troubles I'm having. It changes financial trouble. It changes aches and pains. It changes the reality that I know I'm not going to live forever and that it's moving along more quickly than I want it to. It changes all that. And so what it does is, it causes us to look at the worst trouble that we can possibly have in this life, in this perspective. Light and momentary. I want to tell you, if you could go to hell right now for two minutes, you know, because I was able to be a buffoon falling backwards into the flowers, I was able to preach probably the strongest hellfire and damnation sermon I've ever done in a funeral. But if you could go to hell for a minute and come back, you know what you'd say about anything in this life? I don't care if you're living in excruciating pain. I don't care if if you're suffering like the Lord Jesus Christ under a Roman cat tails and being crucified. I don't care what it is. The perspective of having gone to hell... And having come back here, you're going to say, this is only a moment. Hell is eternal. You'd say, this is light. Wow. The worst pain anybody can possibly experience. You come away from and you say, compared to hell, this is light. This is nothing. And then he says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Is this building temporary? If we get into a shooting war with the Russians and a nuclear bomb sets off, you'll see how temporary this building is. All that we have in this life, in this world, can be gone in a moment. Do you know that during the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was a Russian or a Soviet submarine commander on board the submarine? And according to Soviet doctrine, that is uh, military doctrine, the captain of the submarine and the political officer both agreed it was time to launch a nuclear missile because of what was being done to them with depth charges. But there was a commander on board that submarine who countermanded their orders and said, no, we'll surface. (coughs) I wonder what... I wonder what that Ukrainian Nikita Khrushchev did. You know that Nikita Khrushchev was a Ukrainian? What did he do to that man? But I'm going to tell you, had that, com, had that com, fleet commander not been on board that submarine, we wouldn't be here today. Because military installations all over, including Texarkana, we would have been gone in a puff of smoke. Wow! came that close to nuclear war, and someone disobeyed the standard doctrine of the Soviet Union. Look around you. Earthquakes. You know, the San Andreas Fault? Wow, the whole thing could fall. You know what happened in the, in the 19th century when the Mississippi River uh, flew, uh, went back up north because of a giant earthquake? You know, listen, dear ones. You look around and you say, this is substantial. It isn't really substantial. What's substantial is the unseen, the eternal. Now, I want to move one more point. If we move to the right and we see here uh, uh, what we have here. if Starting at chapter 5. When is this going to be over? First of all, for you and me, When the struggle against sin will end is when you die and your body is either cremated or buried or lost at sea. But your spirit goes to be with the Lord Jesus in heaven. That's when you personally will be perfect. But when will the church be perfect? Well, let's look here. And that begins in chapter 5, verse 1 where he talks about, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now notice what he says in verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Now, what does it mean to be naked? What it means to be naked is that your spirit has no body. Your spirit is with the Lord Jesus, unclothed by a human body. When you die and you go to heaven, your spirit is there. But what happens after that? After that, the Lord returns. And look here at this. He says in verse 4, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, what does that mean? What that means is this. Do you realize that you may be here today, and you may not have to die? When the Lord Jesus returns, what people call the rapture, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, it could be that that all of us here, Without dying, suddenly are clothed with immortality. What does that mean? It means that which is mortal, our fleshly bodies, will be clothed with the immortal, with that divine, supernatural body, just like the Lord Jesus' body. Yeah, you know, Jesus could go through walls with his resurrected body, but it was a real resurrected body. He ate broiled fish, he ate bread. He let Thomas come. He said, Thomas, put your hand in the side where the spear went. And then he said, put your fingers here in the nail prints in my hands. His body was real, but it could do amazing things. One day you're going to have a body just like that when Jesus returns. And it could be today that your mortal body will put on immortality. And so that you won't be naked, you'll be clothed upon. And so what... Paul is longing is to see the dead in Christ rise in resurrected bodies just like the Lord Jesus' body and to see the church on earth clothe that way. Now, I have one pressing application. Has anybody here, if you're asleep, please wake up. <laughs> Has anybody ever here ever been in a perfect church? There are no perfect churches. You know why there are no perfect churches? Because there are no perfect human beings. And you know what happens with folks? There are many people that I've encountered over the years since I first began preaching in 1965 that are trying to find that perfect church. Every single solitary church is a compromise. And if you think I can find a church where there's no compromise... You're going back to 1 John 1, 8, because that's a picture of the church. So what do you do with that? I'm going to say what I do with that is this. I love this church. I'm so glad that God gave me an opportunity to preach at this church. Is this a perfect church? Absolutely not. If I could change everything in this church, what would I start with? I'm not going there. This is a very imperfect church. And over the years of being in different denominations as a minister and observing things that those denominations did, the first denomination I was ordained in had sinful vows you had to take. They were a branch of Presbyterians. And one day I was listening to a sermon on a cassette tape in 1974, and the Holy Spirit convicted me that I had sinned when I took that ordination vow and I sat down and typed out a letter to my presbytery and told them I'd sinned. You know what happened? I became a janitor in the Methodist church. But then God called me to pastor the church in Alexandria. But the point is, when I went there, I discovered things that weren't right too. But I wasn't required to sin. Now, I'm going to say this. Never be in a situation where you are required to sin. That goes for churches, it goes for institutions, it goes for everything. But dear ones, compromising in the sense of can't we all get along? Focusing on what matters most. This is vital, this is essential, this is important. All this other stuff is peripheral. I'm telling you, in 2022, you're not going to find a perfect church unless the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts and the dead in Christ rise. And we who are alive are, covered, are clothed with immortality and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. May we pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless this message that it would powerfully impact all of us because every single person here at one time or another probably every single day of our lives struggles with feeling discontented wanting something we don't have dreaming of of a better church a better home a better car a better spouse better parents better children lord all of the better things but we all struggle Would you grant us Holy Ghost contentment, Holy Ghost joy, living in an imperfect world, worshiping in an imperfect church, in an imperfect denomination. For Jesus' sake, amen.